Hello and welcome to Take Your Case podcast. My name is Catherine Holden, Head of Data Analytics, AI and Digital Identity. On this podcast episode, as we look ahead to 2022, we'll be exploring the transformational potential of digital identity technologies and discussing what we need to do next to ensure a thriving digital identity market in the UK. We have a brilliant lineup of expert panellists, including representatives from Talis, Soprasteria and GBG. To kick things off, let's first hear from Paul Daly, Sales Director, and Jonathan Jensen, Regulatory Policy Advisor at GBG. Hello, Jonathan and Paul. Welcome to Techie Case Podcast. Maybe to kick things off, Paul, could you tell me a bit more about GBG and the work you do? Hi, Catherine. Yeah, so GBG are a, a global identity specialist. And as a business, we're, we're focused on data, we're focused on identity and fraud. And at the heart of what we do is to make it simple, safe and convenient for consumers to transact online. So, so how do we do that? Well, we specialise in, in, in leveraging that data, bringing lots of those data sources together through our technology to make quick and accurate decisions. So some of those decisions might be around the age, the verify, verify somebody's age. It could be validating someone's identity from documentation. It could be proof of someone's address or around about tracing and tracing and debt. So that's just a snapshot, really, of of GBG as a business, and we're uh, we're headquartered in the UK in the north of England. Thanks very much, Paul. Jonathan, um, are you able to tell you? Are you able to tell us a bit about the role you have at GBG? Um, yes, yeah, so my role is um, regulatory policy advisor here at GBG, um, and my primary focus is around uh, current and emerging regulatory trends in areas like uh, digital identity and anti-money laundering. Excellent, thank you. And maybe, Jonathan, just sticking with you for a moment, from your perspective, how can digital identity really benefit and empower individuals? In, in very simple terms, it can make life easier and safer for individuals if it's implemented well. How does it do that? Well, it gives users control over where and how their digital identity is used, perhaps more control than they have in the current way that identity checks work. It can give them easy access to products and services. So in that context, if I've got a digital identity that I've created when I maybe opened up, say, a bank account, if I want to open another bank account, apply for a credit card, open a different online account, I can reuse that digital identity and I can control how, when, and where it's used. And sitting sort of the overarching kind of principles behind all this are privacy and trust. Users have complete privacy over their data and there's that trust in that they know when they're using it and the uh, relying party, the other party that they're using it with, can trust the individual because of the digital identity. I absolutely agree. Trust is absolutely fundamental in this conversation. So thank you for for bringing that and incorporating that as part of your answer. And I wonder, Paul, maybe just going to you for a moment, are you able to provide any examples of, particularly from GBG's perspective, of how this technology is being used in practice? Yeah, there's a a whole host of um, examples, both across the private and the public sector. So one example, or a couple of examples in a private sector, we're starting to see a lot more use of reusable identities. 
with some private sector organizations such as pubs and bars that we're now using digital identities to allow people to prove their age rather than rather than having people to bring out passports and, and, and physical driving licenses. That's a practical example. And we're seeing that in pubs and bars. It's also being used in gaming as well over time. So and that's in the private sector. In the public sector, I suppose the key here really is, is digital identity. It's, it's, to, it's to ensure we get the benefits of digital identity without having to introduce anything scary, such as ID cards, which were on the horizon many years ago. A good example here is around the Home Office. So the Home Office are working, I've got digital identity at the heart of what they're looking to do. And we're, and GBG are, are carrying out a trial with, with, with the Home Office next week around self-enrolment, so bio, biometrics. And what that means is it's, it's to look at a thousand cases, a thousand individuals who would be coming in and out of the UK and looking at in a, both a controlled environment and also a, a, an uncontrolled environment about fingerprints, about selfies, about documents, about data, and all different journeys to, to identify people's well, people's digital identity rather than look at um, physical identity. And that's a trial we're undertaking with as part of the Home Office next week, which should be we should have interesting results really. Well, that sounds very exciting. And yes, please do keep us um, up to date with progress with the Home Office case study there. That's uh, very interesting. Jonathan, maybe back to you. One of the sort of challenges or issues, I guess, surrounding digital identity sometimes is, you know, is this technology really inclusive for all? So I was wondering, you know, what role do you think digital identity can play in promoting social inclusion? Yes, yeah, sure. In fact, I was, I was just going to talk about the uh, DCMS Digital Identity Trust Framework, but that's actually also kind of relevant to the use of digital identity in practice because it's now starting that whilst yes it's very early days and as Paul highlighted there are some use cases um, of reusable identities in the market but it's fairly nascent the DCMS digital identity trust framework will create a framework as it says that will help to promote and drive the adoption of digital identities in the market across many many sectors so financial services is an obvious one Conveyancing is a buying and selling of property. Whilst that's financial services, it brings in a whole load of other areas, um, including yeah, legal property, uh, land registry, and that, and that sort of thing. We're going to see it in other sectors like um, perhaps gambling, where it will make it easier for individuals, uh, players to manage their interactions with gambling operators. But turning to your specific question around social inclusion, one of the fundamental principles behind the trust framework is that it shouldn't just be aimed and used by individuals who are perhaps more comfortable than some others with the concept of online activity, uh, interacting with other organisations online, but it should be genuinely open and inclusive to all because not everybody has uh, a sort of classic identity documents like um, passport or driving licence. Not everybody has extensive uh, existing um, identity data through credit reference agencies or, or, or wherever. So it's going to be critical to ensure that those individuals are not disadvantaged by digital identity. And the sort of ways that that um, can be enabled is through the government sharing 
identity attributes with, of course, the consent of those individuals. Everything must be very much consent driven, privacy centric, as, as we were saying earlier. But those individuals who lack some of the current data attributes will likely have a relationship with one or more government departments where they have identity attributes that can be used to help them create a digital identity. Um, potentially also uh, look at areas like vouching where an individual with an existing digital identity can vouch for another individual to enable him or her to get a digital identity. So there's lots to do, but there's a big opportunity to create a truly inclusive digital identity framework. And something else that will play a big part in making that happen is regulatory change. Regulators need to do as much as possible to encourage that social inclusion to ensure that digital identity is something that can be enjoyed and used by everybody. Thank you, Jonathan. I think you raised some really key points there and I would completely agree, particularly this kind of discussion around social inclusion. It's so important that this is really incorporated as part of the of the trust framework and will be a key priority for, for all of our members uh, to, to help get this right and to support the likes of DCMS officials to ensure that this is you know a real priority and, and top of the agenda for 2022. So thank you. Yeah, Catherine, just, just on that social inclusion point, it's really interesting and historically that's been a it's been a big challenge and also obviously a real opportunity that the data that people have, whether it's people who are young, whether it's people who are old, whether it's people who are vulnerable or have just come in the into the UK, there's a lot of a lot of people who haven't got that credit and data footprint. So it's been hard for us to include them. But I think now, as more and more people are working together, as data is getting richer and more global, it's becoming that data is really there and we can actually touch people. So I think it's a real opportunity to, to actually get to virtually all, all of those people in that landscape, whereas five, ten years ago, we just couldn't, the data just wasn't there. Absolutely. Yeah, exciting times ahead for sure. And finally, please could you, maybe both of you, provide listeners with one call to action to help ensure that the you know that the UK truly benefits from digital identity technology in 2022. Maybe, Paul, if I start with you. Yeah, so I, I'd say it's a bit of a buzzword, but I'd say collaboration. And I think specifically, everyone's got a role to play here. And I would say that's the identity industry, so that's the digital identity industry, we've got a role to play. And what that means really for people like GBG and others, it means us working together as partners and actually working with your competition. So it's important really, no individual organisation or technology has the answer to it all. So it means that we have to share ideas, share technology, share data, share lessons learned to make sure that that we get the best solution and actually collaborating with, certainly in the government space, working with a number of government organisations, not just DCMS, it's the, it's, it's the large departments. You know, it's making sure we work with the HMRCs, DWP and home offices who've got real opportunities in digital identity. So I would say that by working together, both suppliers and government departments, we can we we can make it work, but it'll 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 take time and take a lot of effort. Fantastic, thank you, Paul and um, Jonathan. Your your call to action for listeners. 
one word really, education. And by that I mean, how do we empower individuals, consumers, the people who will use digital identities to take control of their identity and trust the technologies behind that identity so that they can benefit? Because that's what this is all about. It's about benefiting individuals, making their digital, their online life easier and giving them greater control over it. And that education, that, that's, that's something that everybody in this market will have a role to play, whether it's identity businesses like GBG, whether it's government with the trust framework, with their identity attributes, um, relying parties, so the businesses who will actually um, be using these digital identities to identify individuals and open accounts for them. Everybody has a role to play in educating consumers and helping them understand what digital identity means and what a great benefit it will be to them in their digital lives. That's some excellent calls to action there. Thank you both. Education and collaboration. Nice, nice focused words as well. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's unfortunately all we have time for. So I just wanted to say a huge thank you to you both for joining me on Tech UK's podcast today. Thanks, Catherine. Thank you very much, Catherine. It's a pleasure. And now we move on to my interview with Tom Staley, Digital Identity Consulting Lead at Sopristeria. Hello, Tom. Welcome to Tech UK's podcast. Hi, Catherine. So maybe to begin with, please can you tell me a bit more about Sopristeria and the work you do? Certainly. So Sopristeria is a European leader in consulting digital services and software development, helping clients to drive their digital transformation by placing people at the heart of everything we do. What is Sopristeria's vision for the future? Quite simply, our vision is centred around connected ecosystems. We want to empower citizens to manage their own identity in order to access varied products and services across different markets. Right now, if I look at the way in which our interactions are characterised, we have to create unique user accounts and profiles to manage our interactions with different service providers. In the future, our vision is centred around allowing individuals to manage their own identity and share it wherever and whenever they need to. Crucially within this, we need to ensure that we have privacy and security by design. So we want to enable individuals to manage their identity, access services seamlessly on the basis of trusted and verifiable credentials. And we think that this is actually the key to unlocking the digital economy. A trusted digital identity should serve as an enabler, an enabler for digital service delivery, removing the need for repeated identity checking processes and at the same time, empowering seamless digital experiences. Thanks, Tom. And from your perspective, how will organisations get there? So right now I'm encouraging organisations to think about their digital service delivery today. How is the process managed? What technology systems are in operation? How is identity data stored? And importantly, is it available for reuse within the organisation? The short term is imperative, and I think that this is where the majority of businesses are focused today. I think it aligns with that reality of continually needing to perform identity checking and identity verification 
processes. And if we can make marginal improvements in the way that services are delivered today by an organization and within their organizational boundary, we'll be providing ourselves with a really strong foundation for the future as we move towards ecosystems. In the medium term, so beyond this short term assessment of existing processes and services, in the medium term, I'm encouraging organizations to really follow the work being driven by DCMS under the UK Digital Identity and Attributes Trust Framework to follow the individual schemes and to engage with the market. So think about um, exactly what markets and ecosystems you're operating within today, what synergies there are, so what, what complementary organizations are operating within your markets to think about how you could start to collaborate, how you could start to realize shared gains from improved business services by actually empowering individuals to access services through a single digital identity. And this actually allows us to then underpin this broader long term vision, which is a truly boundaryless and borderless digital identity and digital identity that isn't constrained to a single organization, a single market, but can actually perpetuate different markets and services. And this is where in the long term we can realize our vision of connected ecosystems. Do you have any advice for organizations considering digital identity? Maybe some of those organizations are quite early on in the stages of planning and considering what digital identity could do for their organizations. Any any particular advice for those early adopters? Yeah, absolutely. So I think I'd align it with the view that I just presented in terms of the short term, medium term and, and long term. So absolutely, organizations today can be considering what existing services are they offering today? And critically, starting to outline service delivery that they want to provide in the future and, and how the data that they collect, the data that's intrinsic to their processes today could be used to underpin future service delivery. Now, what I often find is that digital identity will appear in one part of an organization strategy, but not another. It might appear in a technology strategy, but not in a business strategy. And one thing when we're doing any planning and when we're working with our clients, we want to make sure that identity is considered as an enabler that pervades all aspects of future digital strategy. So I want organizations to be thinking holistically around how identity can enable where they are today, both with respect to the business services that they offer, but also with respect to the technology services. And it's really important that identity is interwoven throughout all aspects of business and technology strategy. If I think then about the, the medium and the longer term, it's about engagement. It really is about thinking, once I understand identity within the context of my business and how I can apply it to my processes, my services, my systems, thinking about how we can start to collaborate with the broader market. And this can be done in parallel. Please don't mistake me saying that this is a linear roadmap. Organizations absolutely encourage them to engage with forums such as Tech UK um, and a number of other industry working groups that are active in the market today. So thinking about what complementary effects would exist by partnering with organizations either in the same market or in different markets to actually improve on ultimately customer experience. So how can we enable the reuse of digital identity services? And I think that's the, the key for me is understanding, you know, within an organization today, what can we do to immediately address our, our business needs, ensuring that 
identity strategy is interwoven with all elements of future digital strategy and also starting to engage and collaborate with the broader market ecosystems. So we're starting to think about actually how can identity underpin the future of a digital service economy? And interestingly, we actually uh, ran a piece of market research this this year and we interviewed 100 technology leaders 100 technology decision makers and actually 85 percent of technology leaders agree with the vision that i've outlined so thinking about connected ecosystems where an individual is empowered to create manage and share their own digital identity however only 43 percent of our respondents stated that identity is currently referenced as part of their technology or business strategy so this is this is something that needs needs to be considered holistically and we need to think about how identity can pervade different services and most most importantly do do start to consider how you understand identity within your business start to think about how you can improve identity service delivery and engage so so contribute to those industry efforts ensure alignment with emerging standards emerging frameworks emerging schemes and participate and be a be a part of this force for change to create connected ecosystems and to move move this um concept of a single digital identity forwards so that we can actually realize a digital future Thanks, Tom. And um, maybe to finish, please could you provide listeners with one call to action to help ensure the UK benefits from digital identity technologies in 2022? Yeah, abs absolutely. So I think I'll relay some of the points that I've made throughout the course of this discussion, Catherine. Fundamentally, digital identity and the concept of identity as a reusable asset that each of us holds and manages and owns is, is an emerging market but it's one that's gaining traction across the public and the private sectors and i encourage organizations to participate and be a part of the change and i just repeat the do statement and the engage statement so please do consider how to reimagine your existing service delivery start to develop pilots start to think about how you can interweave these concepts of digital identity throughout your existing service delivery and also start to think about complementary and valuable service sets so this is where i come back again to making sure identity is a part of both business and technology strategy and then finally engage so please do contribute to the ongoing industry efforts those being driven by tech uk and others and make sure that you are aligning with the emerging trust frameworks, trust schemes, thinking about all of the global standards with respect to security, interoperability, because what we want to do is to fundamentally change the way in which people interact with digital services. We want to provide people with the ability to seamlessly access services and reuse a single digital identity that provides trust and confidence to unlock the digital economy. And no one organization, no one entity will be able to affect this change on its own. So it's really, really important that people do engage and we create this collective effort to be a force for good and a force for positive change. Brilliant way to finish there. Thank you, Tom. And thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. Thank you, Catherine. Finally, we have my interview with Alistair Ambrojak, Civil Account Director at TALIS. Hi Ali, welcome to Tech UK's podcast. 
Oh, hi, Catherine. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for uh, having me along to the podcast today. Maybe to begin with, please, can you tell me a bit more about Talis and the work you do? Yeah, sure. So I'm Talis's civil account director in the UK. So what that means is I look after our business development for all of our non-defence work here. So Talis, you may or may not know, we're a big global technology company. So we work across a whole range of different areas from defence to aerospace to space transport and digital identity and security and particularly around that you know, we are leaders of physical and digital identity and attribute creation um, with a with a global footprint with digital id we see it as a huge growth area in the uk with with a massive amount of potential and as an example of you know our, our sort of global references we provide passports identity cards driving licenses sim cards plus a lot of that fraud resilience and, um, for secure banking and payment systems that sit behind global banking and that secure e-commerce that, that we all rely on now coming up to Christmas. You know, we secure around a trillion dollars of interbank fund transfers every day with our encryption platforms. We support 450 mobile operators and have around 40 e-passport programs around the world. And in the UK, we combine this with our um, heritage and, and legacy of, of rigorous engineering, high high security and assurance programs for UK government, particularly in defence and security. And, and really coming back to where we're thinking around digital ID, we see it's three areas, that generation of an ID, so whether that's in the in the digital domain or the physical domain, that verification, so whether that's online proving who you are in your in your everyday transactions uh, or at the border um, as you enter and, and and leave different countries and now increasingly the sharing or brokerage of identities now this is really going to be important to drive the uptake um, and and reuse of current identities uh, and really increase people's people's use of identity in their everyday in their everyday lives and Ali, we know that identity is a rapidly changing technology area and documentation has long formed the basis of that for governments and their citizens. Would you be able to talk a bit more about developments in this area? Yeah, sure. So, the, you know, for example, the passport and the driving licence um, have always formed the cornerstone of, of our official identities um, with with government. Now, um, in the UK, TALAS provide the UK government with both the passport and the driving licence, and these are highly secure physical documents with digital capabilities built into them. Um, and they're, in fact, one of the most secure types that you'll find anywhere in the world. You can build into those additional digital capabilities. So there are chips built into the passports, um, which has the data digitised, which can then be read at the border and provides additional utility. We still see the cornerstone for a lot of government digital documents being physical, but now increasingly with many things you'll find is being joined by a secure digital partner. We particularly think these will sit within a digital wallet and a secure location on your on your phone where you can store and share those credentials from. So we'll see this this evolution now where we'll start to have digital companions to physical documents coming along. In some areas, 
maybe with passports, you might always have a physical document that you will take around with you. But in some areas, you might start to see um, you know, different governments or, or customers who use secure documentation start to go digital first. Now, this obviously opens up huge new use cases and smoothing of the use of these identities in the digital world. For example, you could have age verification at the touch of your smartphone screen. That is the same as showing a physical document. And I think we'll come on to talk about some of the things that the UK government's doing at the moment to ease the, the use of digital identity, but that equivalence between digital and physical is going to become really important to help speed up and accelerate the, the, use, the use cases. So an example of where the digital wallet is going to become really important is what's known as digital travel credentials. So that's your digital companion to your passport. Uh, an example of where this could be really important is, is where we've been going through in the last 18 months with COVID. To have that digital companion to your passport already existing and then being able to bind a digital COVID vaccination status could have been really powerful because we've had a huge amount of problems with creating new digital credentials or physical paperwork that people have to carry around. And that that binding very easily in a secure area that is accredited by government could have really helped with a passenger's journey. And it would have taken that single identification token through the air journey, improving efficiency, uh, seamlessly improving that passenger experience and also providing additional security, both at the border um, and, and throughout your journey. As I mentioned, it, it could really be any secure digital document that you could put within there. So mobile driving license, COVID vaccination status, uh, entitlement to benefits. You know, you can see you can see more and more uses for this um, as as potentially it could be rolled out. Brilliant. Thank you, Ali. And you mentioned in your answer there, you know, passports and maybe sticking on the theme of travel uh, with the UK having set its future border strategy. How do you see digital identity supporting its aim to be the most effective in the world? Yeah, as 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 we said you know, we already make passport in the UK and, and that's the cornerstone of the passenger's journey at the moment. And we also provide other technologies such as readers and, and so forth. And we actually are, are really encouraged by um, what the UK government has set out in their, in their future border strategy. And we see that digital identity is really going to be, again, the cornerstone of how this is going to, to be able to be rolled out. Um, we've been working for a number of years looking at that delivery of a seamless, frictionless border. Um, and there are various nations at different stages of development, and they're deploying different sets of technology against their specific requirements of what they want. As the UK starts to evolve and develop its thinking in the, in the future border strategy and then start to deploy capability, I think they're at a really great time to be able to, to do that because it's already been starting to think about globally, and they could be actually a, a leader in how this in this works. And it will bring together a range of different technologies. So it, it will not only deploy technologies, but also enable the changing of operations at the border. It will push a lot of the verification of people's identities away. So the Home Office is already looking at the generic ID verification program that we're that we're actively following. 
um, and that will provide that pre-authorization um, to travel. So we'll know who is arriving, who has permission to travel, and it will use much more agile use of digital identity uh, and the ability to ensure that we know who is is coming in and out of out of the UK. And we think this is going to be a much more person-centric journey. So the approach that the UK government will be able to do risk assessment against individuals rather than more generic groups, you'll be able to do things like check in at home, verify your ID through a secure government portal. And then as you go to the airport, there will be technology such as next generation of e-gates and beyond that will allow completely free-flowing border and security, all backed up by facial and biometric recognition. And as that example of where we've been doing this, we have our sort of fly to great approach, and that opens up that possibility of a biometric pathway through the airport from pre-authorization to boarding, and it will use biometry as the traveler authentication method through all of their passenger touch points on their journey. It will enable much more self-service, which we know that passengers, passengers like, and it will free up both airport staff, airline staff and border force to be able to intervene where people need it. And whether that's be for vulnerable passengers, where they need particular help in terms of their journey or whether it's to provide directed and targeted intervention by border force to provide enhanced security. And all of these things will then improve efficiency and develop uh, cost savings throughout the operation. And we've been supporting Home Office through their various policy making groups. And again, we find it really encouraging their um, engagement with industry uh, and bringing in private sector experience in to try to accelerate the rollout of this um, vision. So, you know, we're really we're really pleased and we're, we're looking forward to seeing what 2022 has to offer. Absolutely. Well, some really exciting developments happening in that space. So thank you very much for highlighting those. Another key policy development in government at the moment is obviously uh, the Digital Identity and Attributes Trust Framework, which is currently being developed by DCMS uh, to stimulate the, the digital identity market here in the UK. Would you be able to talk a bit more about TAS's involvement and, and how you see this developing as we look ahead to 2022? Yeah, sure. So yeah, we're really supportive of the work that DCMS have been doing uh, alongside um, GDS and their single sign-on work. And we, we see it as absolutely critical to accelerating that development of the digital ID market. Um, as I said earlier, some things that are going on that are doing that equivalence of digital and physical identity is going to be really important to unlock um, these significant use cases that have been identified. You know, we've been developing, we've been helping develop the trust framework and supporting DCMS as they as they go along this journey. We see already a number of trial schemes being operated, such as uh, the work that TICE is doing in the financial space and looking at um, the home buying and selling process. We have seen that it's been a very open uh, process, and I think it's one of the most open processes I've seen working with government, which is really encouraging. And it's going to be a critical enabler to unlocking the potential of the billions of pounds worth of economic activity that we know that digital identity can bring. And also that huge amount of savings 
in terms of time, both for government and citizens or the consumers. And I, I don't know if you've bought the house recently, Catherine. I certainly have. <laughs> the you know the amount of paperwork back and forth, proving identity at multiple stages of the process with physical identity, particularly during COVID, where it then has to be scanned or take a photo of it and send it off. You know the the amount of time saving and smoothing of that of that journey is replicated across multiple interactions that you will probably have that you just will not have realised and it will just have been something you've had to do. And I and I think one of the areas where sort of next steps will be is yeah how do we provide then multiple reuses of identity that we already have or we have created for these different processes because what we don't want to see is the replacement of multiple different processes and multiple different ID sharing in the physical world, in the digital world. I think that's where what we describe as orchestration or brokerage systems, where you are able to reuse identities that you already have or that um, businesses or government already have and and then use that in multiple different use cases. I think that's going to be a hugely powerful next step that we will see and it will really empower the citizen rather than business or government, which I think is a really important aspect of, of what we're seeing. And, and we would really encourage government to keep looking across different departments, seeing whether opportunities unlock digital IT use cases and try to look at how we can reuse different things that are going on in, either in government or in the private sector. And I think that will be important is how can we leverage mutually across public and private sector for different technologies and different ways of people to identify themselves. But I think, you know, coming back to coming back to where the trust framework is, I think, you know, 2022 is going to be that that year where hopefully we start to see some real real world live progress. And it's really exciting. Yeah, I couldn't agree more with you there, Ali. Thank you. Um, we only have time for one last question. So maybe just to, to kind of uh, bring things to a close. Please, could you provide listeners with maybe one call to action to help ensure that the UK truly benefits from digital identity technology in 2022? Yeah, of course. I mean, I think, you know, we've talked about a huge range of different areas. You know, we just had the sort of the focus on trust framework. And I, and I think we, we mentioned very briefly the kind of work that government's doing on, on single sign-on. I think for 2022, it's going to be really important for both government and for the private sector to really start communicating and demonstrating the power of digital identities for individuals to be able to get that societal acceptance that we're going to need for real mass take up. I think there's all, there's at the moment a bit of reluctance around how this is going to work, how it's really going to demonstrate value to people. And I think when we can start to show that, um, in the real world and some of these schemes that we've mentioned, um, some of the um, the use cases that government's developing, when we can start to demonstrate that this is really going to provide value to, to everybody and, and have that sort of communication process that's going to go on, I think it's going to be really important because that will be when we start to see acceleration of this of this market and delivering the benefits that I think we we all know that are there to take. Excellent. I think, as you said, they're demonstrating the value of digital identity technologies is absolutely key and something which I know Tech UK and its programme of work will continue to look to do uh, in, in 2022. So, Ali, thank you very much for your advice and a huge thank you for joining me on the podcast today. 
Brilliant. Thanks very much, Catherine, and look forward to speaking to you soon. That brings us to the end of Tech UK's Digital Identity podcast. If you'd like to find out more about Tech UK's Digital Identity programme of work, make sure to get in touch via our website. Thanks for listening.